think that uh, uh, Mr. Piri, the Piri family, have uh, lost their son. Um, he was murdered. Um, the details are not as clear yet. Um, they are from Marikana, if you, if you know them. Um, so keep them in prayer. Um, and probably um, send them a message and um, um, give them a call. He was uh, murdered in Marikana. Um, yeah, please uh, keep them in the in, in prayer. Thank you. Keep them in your in your prayers. Um, it's uh, I I can't imagine the devastation, the the grief they are going through at this moment. Um, they they need us to uphold them in prayer and to be with them. If you are able to go, um, please make your way there and uh, comfort them. Remind them that we love them and uh, with them as they um, go through this unimaginable uh, grief. We we continue with our our series uh, on James. It's looking at God's word and what He has to say to us. Uh, practical Christianity. James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 to verse 12. He still continues, and here he concludes the matter on trials. What a vivid illustration it is this morning to wake up to the news um, of this grievous magnitude. But we thank the Lord for his word that comforts us and reminds us of the presence of God to comfort and to strengthen us. Let us look at God's word, verses 9 to verse 12, James chapter 1. We're looking at the title of perspective for trials, perspective for trials. Let me read from the ESV. This is God's word. Let us hear him. Let the lowly brother boast in his, in, in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will, all, so will the rich make the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And this is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, it is your word. Your word that is powerful, authoritative, the word that is clear enough for us. We pray that you use it, O oh Father, to speak to our lives, to draw us to yourself, to give us hearts, O oh Father, that are looking to you in moments of great pain and trial. 
May we develop a perspective that you give to us in your word. Pray that your name will be glorified, O oh God. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We, last week we looked at the, the, the topic of, 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 of wisdom for trials and how James calls these believers, um, looking at verses 2 to 4, um, that in order for us to respond joyfully, in order for us to respond with an understanding mind and, an, and, and, and a submissive will, we need the wisdom of God. So he calls them to, um, to, to see their need for wisdom, first of all, and again, to to see their source of wisdom, to see God as the source of wisdom, and to have a manner of, of approaching God for wisdom, to, 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 to approach God in faith. And now, when, when, after he deals with the subject of wisdom, he, he goes on to give a perspective um, in trials, the, the, the perspective that a believer must have when they are going through difficulty, when they are going through pain, when they are going through trial. It is a, uh, a perspective that he calls them to. And then um, after he talks about wisdom, an indication that a believer um, trusts in the wisdom of God is seen in the ability to change our perspective on reality. The fact that you have been, you have the wisdom of God will be seen, will be reflected in your ability to change your perspective on reality. That the society that we live in wants us to believe that life consists in the abundance of things you own. That your worth is closely tied to what you have and what you possess materially. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians also believe this. You see it clearly in the way they relate with other people. They, they are more likely to make friends with people who are also well-off financially uh, than with people who are not. They, they drift towards people who are like them materially other, uh, uh, rather than people who are like them spiritually. They are, they are uncomfortable with the idea of opening their doors and, and sharing the table with the poor. Furthermore, their worth is so closely tied to what they have that if they lose it, they lose their minds as well. They are driven into despair and, and depression. You see, the heart of the matter, when this is the case, is that their hearts are so distracted by material things that they fail to see the beauty and majesty of Christ. That they fail to have an eternal perspective on life. James here wants to drive the point home to these believers who were under trial. And, and it seems that one of the trials that was being experienced in, in, among these believers is that some of the believers were um, poor. They were in poverty. So James offers them a godly perspective in, in the midst of the trial they are facing so that they don't view themselves through uh, um, social constructs of the world, but through the eyes of God. In other words, the, the poor Christian 
and the rich Christian must view themselves not through the eyes of the world that says the poor are worthless and the rich are so precious, but through the eyes of God who says worth is not found in what you own. It is not found in being poor or in being rich, but in Christ alone. So as we look at this passage, verse 9 to verse 12, as we follow James's train of thought here, we, we, we see that the life of a Christian must be shaped by two God-centered perspectives. Two God-centered perspectives. A life of a Christian must be shaped by two God-centered perspectives. First of all, it must, be sent, it, must be, it must be shaped by an accurate view of oneself. And secondly, an eternal perspective on trial. Let's, let us look at the first perspective that must shape the life of a Christian. An accurate view of oneself. Look at verse 9 to verse 11. James says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich man in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and, and withers the grass. It, it, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. John Calvin says true wisdom consists principally of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. You see, as a Christian, we need to be aware of the deceiving voices of the world. Voices that try to mold our thinking and our view of life through a worldly construct. When we believe the deception, we end up seeing ourselves as the world sees us, but not as God sees us. The result is, what, is that when a Christian is financially poor, that they become depressed, and, and not because they don't have money, right? It is because they don't have the things that money brings. They, they don't have the identity that comes with having money. Just think about it. If you had everything and not money, if you had bread for the day and petrol for the car and um, food in the fridge and, 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 and your bills, um, not, you're not getting bills every, every month and you wouldn't have any, any, any sort of um, you know, depression or stress over the fact that you don't have money. It is not money that is the problem. It is the ability to get what money affords that depresses us. Sometimes it is the identity that depresses us, that we are not able to find an identity and a name for ourselves. And on the other hand, when a Christian is financially well off, there is a tendency to be prideful, to be aloof, arrogant, and oppressive because things come a little easier. We look down on people. We think that we are better off. So James addresses these these two groups of people and calls them to view themselves accurately as God would view them. First, he addresses the poor. He says, let the lowly brother 
boast in, in his exaltation. The word that he uses here for lowly refers to the economically poor who are seen to be of low status in society. It is likely here that their poverty was in most part the result of their faith in, in Christ because after they, they came to faith in Christ when they were in Jerusalem, they, were, they experienced great persecution because of their faith, which means losing their businesses, property, and wealth as they left Jerusalem. Larry, Larry Richards explains that the word lowly in, in, in the Greek culture was a word for contempt. He, he says the, the Greeks saw men as the measure of all things. Thus, to be low on the social scale, to know poverty, or to be socially powerless was seen as shameful. See, the temptation for people who were socially disadvantaged, people who were uh, socially low, would be to be discouraged, right? To be discouraged or even to draw away and distance themselves from the fellowship of the saints. But James, in the language of verse 2, calls this Christian saying, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The, the word boast can also be translated as the word rejoice. That's what he uses, right? That's what he uses in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It, it means rejoice. It, it brings out the idea of boasting in a privilege or a, a possession. He says that they should boast in their exaltation. Now, in other words, our joy must not be in what we have materially, uh, uh, but, but it must be in, in, in what we have spiritually, in the fact that Christ is ours. Our joy must not be fixed on the things of the world that can be taken away, but on Christ alone. John MacArthur says that this lowly brother, he, he may be considered the scum of the world, the dregs of all things in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God he is exalted. He may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but he has the water of life. He may be poor, but he has eternal riches. He may be cast aside by men, but he has been eternally received by God. He may have no home on earth, but he has a glorious abode in heaven. James says, let this brother uh, uh, boast in his, in, in his exaltation, let him look away from his poverty. Let him look to Christ and the riches that are in Christ and that are his in Christ. You see, when this is your perspective, when you are going through a financial mess, when, this, when, this, when you have this perspective that James is calling you to, you can truly sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. He is fairer than the lilies of the rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from, the, from out of the honeycomb. He's all that my hungering spirits need. I'd rather have Jesus and, and be led by him. Because you know 
that the things of this world are fleeting, but my treasures in Christ are forever. Then James, after addressing the poor brother, the lowly brother, he goes on to address the rich. One who had material abundance and was well off financially. He says, and the rich brother should boast in his, in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But by humiliation, when James calls his brother to boast in his humiliation, James underscores the reality of the inability for, of riches to gain one favor in the sight of God. You see, riches might gain you favor before people, before men. Riches might gain you a seat among those who, according to the world, are honored. But riches cannot buy you favor with God. Before God, riches are as useless as the grass that perishes. Riches have no value in the sight of God. And here what James is doing, he is he's kind of bringing a death blow on the prosperity gospel. Because what the prosperity gospel says, it says that the will of God is for you to be rich. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The gospel is not about riches, nor is the gospel about poverty. The gospel is about Christ and his glories and what he did on the cross. To have riches or not to have riches is the same in the eyes of God. What we truly need in this world, what we truly need is not to, 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 to have material abundance. What people need is not to have better jobs. Yes, better jobs are good, but that is not our ultimate need. Our ultimate need is Christ himself. And until we see him as a treasure that is above all treasures, we are not truly seeing life the way we are supposed to see it. That's why we look down on people when they are not working upper-class jobs, right? Because our minds have been shaped by the thinking that your value in life, your status in life is based on the kind of job that you do, on the, on the zeros that you have in your bank account. We, we fail. We, we fail uh, so much to see that, that it is not uh, what, what gives people value. is not what they have, but because they are the imago Dei. They are made in the image of God. They are bearers of the image of God. That is exactly what makes them valuable. That the man on the street who does not have a home and the man in a mansion who lives lavishly are the same in the eyes of God. They both need Christ. And we need to have that perspective. 
If you don't have that perspective, you are not seeing life as you're supposed to see it. I'm losing sight of my notes. James calls this brother who is rich to, to be humble. He says, let him boast in his humiliation. And, and the reason he does this, he, he goes on by, by analogy, to show by analogy how futile, how vain it is to put one's hope in riches. He does so by showing the brevity and the uncertainty of life. That one, when he is in the midst of his pursuit, life can be switched off like that. We are not in control of our lives. We can never be in control of our lives. And so our creator himself has, has life in his hands. Life is brief and uncertain. You wake up one morning, you are in the midst of your pursuit. Just like that. Just like that. That's why people become surprised and say, but he was not sick. I saw him yesterday. I was with her. We were talking. Just like that. He uses an analogy of, of grass and, and flowers. Think about a flower that appears and blooms and it looks beautiful, adorned in the beauty and the glory of the majesty of God. The next moment, the sun rises and it scorches it. It is no more. Life is brief. Don't waste it in the pursuit of material things. That's why even as parents, our number one goal is to show our children what is priority in life. But the gospel itself is the number one thing. And we are to live, we are to, to, to profess with our mouths that the gospel is important, it cannot be surpassed in value. And we are to, in turn, show them with our lives the importance of the gospel. When we tell them to love God, we, we should... We should show them what it looks like to love God. When we tell them to prioritize God, we should show them with our lives what it is to prioritize God. That there is no way they are going to see that God is a priority when he is not a priority in our lives. 
when life switches off, what is it that they're going to have and remember us with? should be noted here how James closely ties this, these two people. He uses the word brother. He, he ties them together so closely regardless of their social statuses, regardless of their economic differences. He uses the word brother to refer to them. The, the, the word brother in the Greek is the word adelphos. It's a, it's a compound word. It's a combination of two words. Ah, which means unity, and delphos, which means womb. And literally, that word means taken from the same womb. And figuratively, what James is trying to do, trying to show that these two people are born again in the same way. The, the, the rich did not have his door for the privileged, or, and the poor did not have his door for the underprivileged. They entered through the same door. By grace, through faith in Christ, for the glory of God alone, as the scriptures reveal, they are brothers. They are united, not because of their financial possessions, but because of Christ. It is the bond that is greater than any other bond that can be conceived. The bond of Christ. This should be an eye-opener that God in his wisdom has formed this community of faith in, in which the rich and the poor have equal standing before him. It means that the, the poor should not resent the rich and hate them for what they have. And on the other hand, it means that the rich must not look down and despise the, the poor because of their privileged position. And as an opportunity uh, to serve, they must see their possessions as, as, as gifts from God, as an opportunity to serve those who are underprivileged. Practically, let me, let me just give this in a practical sense. Practically, we should see our cars, our houses, our money, as, as gifts from God for the service of his people. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ with all that you have. You see, this is not a Bushiri kind of theology where you give to Bushiri. It is a Christ kind of theology where everything is resigned to Christ and you're ready to serve with it. We should not be afraid of how the world will perceive us, right? If I meet with a brother in a mall for coffee and he's wearing shabby clothes, actually, 
James is going to address this in chapter 2. He's wearing shabby clothes. I should not be, I should not be uh, 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 concerned what my colleagues will say when they see me. I, I should be concerned most about this fellowship with this brother. If I invite the brother at home, I should not be concerned what the people will say. It should not, it should not be my concern what the standards of the culture is. It is not our lot, brothers and sisters, to, 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 to keep the status quo. It is not our lot. Our lot is to live in such a way that we live countercultural. We live in such a way that the, this culture is reversed. And they are amazed and said, look how they love one another. It is strange. I wonder what causes such a love. You see, this starts with an accurate view of oneself. If you have, a, if you have an inflated view of yourself that the world is telling you that you are to have, you are not going to behave this way. Right? The poor have a a self-degrading view and I'm sorry for using this word but they have a, a lack of self-esteem view of themselves the rich have an inflated view of themselves these two views are incorrect in the sight of God and God caused them both to have this one view. And I am in Christ view. I'm a new creature view. I have been transformed by the gospel view. I have a brother and sister. I am in the community of faith view. My life revolves around God, family, community. View. When you have this view, you will live in this way. Secondly, the perspective that must shape the life of Christians is not only an accurate view of oneself, but also an eternal perspective on trials. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, of, the, the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Going back to the language of verse 4, when he called the believer who is under trial to let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He looks back and says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Notice how he connects the idea of blessedness not to a life of ease or, or material abundance, but to remaining steadfast under trial. I've explained before that the word blessed here is the word makarios in the Greek. It is a word that explains one whose joy and happiness 
is found in Christ. Other translations translate it as happy. It has nothing to do with material abundance. It has nothing to do with what you have and what you don't have. It is what you do, not what you possess, but who possesses you. He says that another saying, a, a, a blessed person is marked by endurance. That, that word steadfastness can also be translated endurance. Endurance is a, is a critical Christian virtue. Unless we have endurance, we can never learn many, many of the truths that God wants us to learn truth that will lead us into a deeper and more fruitful ministry. It's the children are, are impatient, right? They are usually impatient. They, they cannot sit uh, still long enough to get the things done that need to be done. They ask questions like, how long do we have to wait? When are we going to get there? When are we going to do this and that? It, it is their stock question when they are impatient. You see, impatient, impatience is a mark of immaturity. Impatience is also a lack, a mark of unbelief. James goes on to show that Christians who remain steadfast under trial have a motivation that energizes them in tough times. For, for He says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The phrase, when, when he has stood the test, give us an idea of being approved. For, for the Greek, it's from the Greek word dokimos, which means to, to put to the test for the purpose of being approved. Or, or having something that has met uh, 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 specifications. Uh, it has a, the, the stamp of approval placed upon it. It was used of, of gold or, or silver um, that had been purified and, and conformed to the highest standard. In other words, for a Christian to be approved, they have to be proved first. Right? To put it in a way that you understand it, for a Christian to be approved, they have to go through the test of trials first. William Buckley says that the, the man or woman who, who mistrusts in the right way, for the man and the woman, to, to the man or woman who, who mistrusts in the right way, there is joy here and hereafter. In this life, he becomes a man of sterling worth. He is dokimos, that word. He is approved. He is like metal which is cleansed of all alloy, that the weaknesses of his character are eradicated and he emerges strong and pure. And James says, this man or woman who has been approved will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. A lot of times we think about this crown, right? And, 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 and the question is, uh, is it like, uh, what kind of crown is it? is it? Is it a material crown which we put literally on our heads or is it referring to something? What is this crown? I cannot be 
sure. The Bible does not speak whether it is a uh, uh, um, material crown, uh, like real gold crown that we put on our heads or, uh, or speaking metaphorically. Uh, but here, here's the thing that I want you to, to grasp here. In the life to come, we will receive the crown of life, right? We will receive the crown of life. There is far more uh, than one thought here when, when the Bible talks about one crown, a crown of life. In, in the ancient world, the crown had at least four great associations. And I think this is where the Bible is, is drawing us to think in this terms. First, we see the crown of flowers was worn at times of joy, right? At weddings and at feasts. When you look at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1 to 2, it, it, it was the crown, this kind of crown, the crown of flowers, was the sign of festive joy. Right? The sign of festive joy. Secondly, there was the, the, the crown that marked out royalty. It was worn by kings and, and by those in authority. Sometimes this was the crown of gold. Sometimes it was, it was the linen bend or a fillet worn around the brows. This was a crown of showing that someone is of royal blood. They are uh, in authority. Thirdly, it was the crown of laurel leaves. It, it was the victor's crown in the, in the games, right? This is the crown that Paul talks about to run uh, for the, uh, until for, run for the prize. It was the prize which the athletes coveted above all. They, they ran for, for, for them to have this crown because it marked out victory. Fourthly and lastly, the crown, it was a crown that, that was the mark of honor and of dignity. The, the instructions of parents can can bring a crown of grace to those who listen to them, right? When you look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 9, wisdom provides a man with a crown of glory. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 9, in a time of disaster and dishonor, um, it can be said, the crown has fallen from our head. Dignity has fallen from our head. You see, we, we do not need to choose between these meanings, these four meanings. They are all included. That the Christian has a joy that no other man can have. Life for him is like being forever at a feast. Right? He has a royalty that other men have never realized. Um, uh, however, the, uh, however humble his earthly circumstances are, he is a child of God. He is of royal blood, or of royal lineage. He has a victory which others cannot win. For, the, for, for he meets life and all his demands in the conquering power of the presence of Jesus Christ. He has a new dignity, for he is ever conscious that God thought of him um, with the life and the death of Jesus Christ. So, so this crown that, that, that uh, James is talking about is a crown of joy. It's a crown of royalty. It's a crown of victory. It's a crown of honor and of dignity. This is what we have in, in the sight of God. This is the promise that God has for us. It, it is awaiting us. And the Bible says, he who remains steadfast under trial will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It is the crown of life, the Bible says. 
And, and that phrase means it is the crown which consists of life. The, the crown of the Christian is a new kind of living, which is life indeed. Through, through Jesus Christ, he's a, he has entered into life more abundantly. James says that if the Christian meets the testing of, of life in the steadfast cons, constancy which Christ can give, life becomes infinitely more splendid than it ever was before. The struggle is the way to glory, and the very struggle itself is glory. Right? When, when, when we hear this, when we are in the midst of trial and difficulty, when we're going through grief, we can sing in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. We, 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 we look to, to, to our promise in Christ. It might be difficult. We might be tired. We might be going through grief and, and all that the world is throwing at us. But we look forward to a day where joy will be experienced to its fullest that it will not be able to be doubled. We, we, we look to a day when we will have victory in Christ over death, where we will sing, oh, jo oh death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your staying? We look forward to a day where we will be crowned with honor and dignity in the sight of God, where he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We look forward to a day when we will arrive in his sight and he looks at us and says, these are my children. These are my children. These are identified with me where he gives us gowns that are from him, that are sewn by him, not by any other sower in this world, not by Dose and Gabbana or, or, or whatever, Louis Vuitton, but by God himself, we look forward to a day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We look forward to a day where sickness will be no more, where our bodies will not experience pain. We look forward to a day where Christ will rejoice over us. We look forward to a day where we will look at him and sing the song of the redeemed. We look forward to a day until that day we sing, in the midst of pain and grief, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Lord, we, we are grieved. We don't know what to say, Lord. But our hope is in you. Our hearts are looking to you, trusting in you, hoping in you. We know that you are with us. We look forward to a day when we will be with you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are not ashamed to be called our God. For you prepared for us a home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.